kingship. Uh, Psalm, what we know is Psalm 18 is also found there at 2 Samuel 22. In a, in a lot of ways, Psalm 18 kind of sums up uh, the, the, the victories that God gave David, the deliverance that God gave David. And so this is a, a huge portion of scripture in terms of what David's ministry was, what his reign looked like, and what God did for and through David. So as we begin, we're going to read uh, all of Psalm 18. Uh, we make it our practice normally to stand for the reading of God's word. It's a way of helping us focus our attention. Uh, this is a rather long psalm, and so I'm going to let you remain seated today uh, because we don't want standing to be a distraction from reading scripture. So please remain seated as we read Psalm 18, but please turn your attention now to the word of God. The Holy Spirit says, to the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried from help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. Thick clouds dark with water out of the brightness before him. Hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens. And the Most High uttered his voice. Hailstones and coals of fire. And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. And the foundations of the world were laid bare. At your rebuke, O Lord. At the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy. And from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. And have not wickedly departed from my God. 
For all his rules were before me, and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure, and with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me. And your gentleness made me great. You gave, me, you gave a wide place for my steps under me, and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them and did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, and those who hated me I destroyed. They cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with the people. You made me the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Just a few weeks ago, June 6th, was the anniversary of D-Day, the day the Allied forces stormed the beaches of Normandy. And to commemorate that day, uh, that night I, I turned on the opening scene of the movie Saving Private Ryan. Uh, you may be familiar with that scene that depicts uh, that moment of that storm of, of the beaches of Normandy. 
And uh, it is easy as an American to be moved as you watch that scene unfold. Uh, the, the courage, the determination, the sacrifice. Because as you watch that, knowing that this is a depiction of, of, of real lives that were sacrificed, real courage that was put on display, a real battle that was waged, you realize that today we're living in the freedom that they purchased for us, that they sacrificed for. They did that so we could enjoy this. It's easy to celebrate because their victory on that battlefield was our victory. Their triumph meant triumph for us. Watching this and, and, and recalling what they did has a, a lot of effects on you when you meditate on that. Now, I know for me, I, I was moved with just a, a renewed gratitude for their sacrifice and a gratitude for just what was a, such a colossal effort on that day. Uh, my admiration for these men also moved me and, and made me want to imitate that courage that was put on display, that dedication and sacrifice. It made me grateful. It made me want to imitate their example, but it also made me want to share it, you know. It, it made me want to tell my kids, hey, do you know what they did for you? Do you know what sacrifice they made for you? Sometimes we need to remember what someone has done for us. And that's what David does in this song. He spends 50 verses just making himself remember what God has done for him. The way that he won victory for him. The way that he fought for him. Psalm 18 recounts God's salvation of David and God's victory that he won through David. But you might have noticed that last verse at the very, very end, it kind of puts a different spin on the whole psalm. Because what we need to understand about Psalm 18 is that this is a portrait of salvation that God gave to David. But it's not just that. It is a portrait of salvation that points us to the salvation found in the offspring of David, Jesus Christ. Psalm 18 was given to us so that we would remember the salvation that God has won for us in Christ. And what we're going to see in Psalm 18 is that God's anointed king invites us to share in his salvation. God's anointed king, Jesus, invites us to share in his salvation. And we're going to see three different ways that God's anointed king invites us to share in his salvation as we walk through this passage. First of all, we share in his deliverance. We share in his deliverance. We see this in verses 1 through 19 as David recounts the way that God delivered him. Uh, in verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 18, David praises Yahweh 
for saving him from his enemies. He uses a variety of terms, this kind of cluster of terms to describe the strength and the might of God. He is his rock, his fortress, his shield, his horn, his stronghold. This is a mighty God who has done great things, who is worthy of praise. In verses 4 and 5, David recalls what he was saved from, and he was saved from death. He describes death as having cords and ropes that were tied around him, entangling him, entrapping him, impossible to escape. This was the condition that he found himself in, entangled and restricted by death, trapped and doomed to die. And so what did he do in verse 6? He called to Yahweh. He called to the Lord for help. He was down on earth, entangled in the ropes and the cords of death. And here from earth, David sends out the distress signal to heaven. And amazingly, all the way from earth, that distress signal reached up to the ears of God in heaven. David says, he heard my cry. And then, starting in verse 7, David describes in this amazing portrait how God, came down from heaven to earth to deliver him from the cords of death. He uses images. He, he paints a, a picture, a word picture, and these majestic images to describe the nature of God's salvation, his deliverance. And he not only uses images that are just powerful in and of themselves, but he uses images that also remind us and point us back to God's deliverance of Israel in the Exodus. He uses language that brings images and pictures of what God did, both at the Red Sea and the parting of the Red Sea and delivering Israel through that and destroying the armies of Egypt, all the way to how he brought them to Sinai and some of the images of that moment that God came down and made his covenant at Sinai with the people of Israel. Just consider the images that David uses to describe God's deliverance of him and how it points back to those moments. In verse 7, he describes how the mountains trembled, just like Mount Sinai shook when God came down to make his covenant. In verse 9, David describes God coming in darkness. Well, there at Mount Sinai, it was covered in darkness as God was there meeting with Moses. In verse 10, David describes how uh, God used a cherub, uh, an angelic being, in part of his deliverance. It reminds us of how there was an angel of the Lord at the Red Sea, helping to guard and protect Israel as it led them along with the cloud of fire and the pillar of fire and the pillar of, of smoke. In verses 13 and 14, David describes God having thunder and lightning, just like was described at Sinai, this thunder and lightning as God met with his people. In verse 15, he even uses this picture of how God split the sea with the breath of his nostrils and dry ground appeared which is an image that Moses uses in the Song of Moses in Exodus 15, rejoicing in how God delivered them through the Red Sea. And then in verse 16, David describes how God drew him out of the water 
just like Moses was as a baby and how God drew Israel out of the water of the Red Sea. David paints this majestic portrait in order to tell us that he sees the deliverance God gave him as a demonstration of the same holiness and majesty and power as God demonstrated in the Exodus as he brought his people with his strong and mighty hand out of slavery in Egypt and into a covenant relationship with himself. David sees the victory that God gave him as part of a larger arc or trajectory of salvation, how God delivers his people. It's a trajectory or an arc that David recognizes is much bigger than him. It goes back all the way to Moses, but it's also an arc that stretches forward to Christ. This kind of Psalm 18 deliverance is not best seen in the Exodus. It's not best seen in God's deliverance of David. It is best seen in the cross of Jesus Christ. In Christ, God has won for us a salvation of cataclysmic proportions. Just think about how these same images carried on into the death and resurrection of Jesus. The gospel writers tell us that the day that Jesus died on the cross, there was darkness on the earth. Just like David cried out to Yahweh, Jesus from the cross with his dying breath cried out to the Lord as he gave up his spirit. And just like David cried to the Lord and then the Lord heard him in his temple and came down, Matthew tells us right after Jesus cried out, the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. The earth shook when Jesus died. The rocks were split once on Friday, and then there was another earthquake on Sunday when the angel was sent from heaven to come and roll the stone away from Jesus' tomb, and the king emerged from the tomb alive with an appearance like lightning. And as Peter says in Acts 2.24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Do you know that God moved heaven and earth to bring salvation through Christ to his people? He moved heaven and earth to bring deliverance to his King Jesus and through his King Jesus. If you belong to Jesus, don't let your awe of salvation fade. Sometimes we just need a reminder of what someone has done for us. May Psalm 18 and the majesty and glory of this portrait remind you of just what God has done for you in Christ. And if you've never trusted in Jesus, maybe you've been on the fence about whether it's worth it to follow Jesus. Maybe you have questions and you're just not sure if you're all in. Did you know that you can know the God of this deliverance? You 
can know the deliverance that God has won with this majesty, this power, this glory, the extent of this effort to save sinners like you and me. You can have this deliverance true of you if you give your life to Jesus. Jesus was delivered from death, resurrected from the grave, so that you and I could be delivered from death. This deliverance can be yours if you give your life to Jesus. You can say with David, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. Our anointed king invites us to share in his salvation. We can share in his deliverance, but it gets even better. We can share in his righteousness. Second, we share in his righteousness. We see this in verses 20 to 29. In verses 20 to 24, we see that David considers God's deliverance a reward for his righteousness. He says as much in verse 20, the Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. As he goes on, he describes that this righteousness that he lived out in his life was the result of following God's word. God gave his law, he gave his word, his statutes, and the righteousness that David walked in came from tying himself to the word of God. He describes himself as a, a Psalm 1 man who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night, who walks according to its counsel. And this walking according to God's word, he says, has led him to have clean hands, which reminds us of Psalm 24, which we'll look at here in a few weeks. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. David goes on, though, in verses 25 through 29, and he describes how his devotion to Yahweh is inseparably linked to Yahweh's devotion to him. His righteousness before Yahweh is inseparably connected to Yahweh's commitment to him. As he walks through these verses in 25 through 29, David describes how those, those who oppose God will be opposed by God. Those who are arrogant, who don't think they need the salvation of God, will fall. But the humble, those who admit they need God, those are the people God saves. The kind of people God shows mercy to are merciful people. The blameless, which we looked at a couple weeks ago, that term, it means wholehearted devotion. Those who are wholehearted in their devotion to Yahweh are those who receive Yahweh's wholehearted devotion. To the blameless, he shows himself blameless. And we see in this relationship between David's commitment to Yahweh and Yahweh's commitment to him that ultimately God is the source of this. We see in verse 28, David says, 
that you are the one who light my lamp. In verse 29, he says, by you I can run against the troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. David will go on to say that he made my way blameless. He understands that his devotion to Yahweh is built on the foundation of Yahweh's devotion to him. As we look at this section, we need to recognize about our anointed king, or God's anointed king, Jesus, who is our king, that Jesus invites us to share in his righteousness in two ways. First, we, if we're in Christ, we are rewarded according to his righteousness. We are rewarded not according to our righteousness, but according to Jesus' righteousness. This is the doctrine that the Bible refers to as justification. Because Jesus lived a perfect life and died a death as the substitute for sinners, he has made a way for his perfect record of righteousness to be given and counted to unrighteous people like you and me if we place our faith in him. Paul describes in Romans 5, 18 and 19, how one man's disobedience, Adam, one man's disobedience made all of us sinners, but likewise, one man's obedience, Jesus' obedience, makes many righteous. God's gift of the righteousness of Christ is free to be received by faith. We can be declared righteous. We can be rewarded for what Jesus did. We can be delivered from our unrighteousness and our sinfulness because his hands are clean. This is the good news of what Jesus has done to reward us according to his righteousness. But there's a second way that Jesus invites us to share in his righteousness, and that is we are formed according to Jesus' righteousness. We're not only rewarded according to Jesus' righteousness, we're also formed according to Jesus' righteousness. God does not reward his people without also forming them. He justifies and he sanctifies. He takes his people and declares them righteous, and then he makes them righteous. Again, Psalm 18 stands, the people... God shows mercy to our merciful. The people God saves are a humble people. God does not save people from the penalty of sin without also saving them from the power of sin in their lives. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Look at verses 4 through 10. 1 John 3, 4 through 10. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning 
is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now, this passage does not mean that we have to do something to earn salvation. It also doesn't mean that Christians never sin. What it does mean, though, is that we may not take the salvation of God for granted and live however we please. We may not just take the salvation of God for granted and live however we please. Psalm 18 and 1 John 3 along with it calls us to walk according to God's word, to be merciful, to be humble, to be wholehearted in our devotion to God, not to earn, but to demonstrate what God has done for us. As an illustration, consider verse 29 and the picture that David uses when he says, by my God, I can leap over a wall. That's a metaphor, but let's pretend it's not for a second. Let's pretend that, by God, I can literally leap over a wall. If I then go leap over a wall, what am I doing? Am I, by leaping over that wall, earning the ability to leap over that wall? No. I'm demonstrating that God has given me the ability to leap over the wall. Likewise, if I claim that I have the ability to leap over a wall, but for some reason I never want to leap over a wall, it really is a demonstration that I'm not the kind of person that God has given the ability to leap over a wall. Likewise, God wants to manifest righteousness in our lives, not so that we would earn something, but so that we would demonstrate who God has made us to be in Christ. When I choose to be patient with my child, I can look back and see, oh, God got me over that wall. When I show love to someone who has sinned against me, the only explanation is God got me over that wall. When I am able to keep quiet, when I could easily boast or defend my honor or defend my character, I look back and I say, only God could get me over that wall. By my God, I can do these things. Not to earn anything, but to demonstrate what he has done in my life. On the other hand, if you look at your life and you find that the pattern, the habit, the practice of your life is that you're, you're merciless, arrogant, disregarding what God has said in his word. And, and most of all, if you find yourself believing, I don't need to be saved by God. You need to understand the truth of Scripture 
Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. No matter how many aisles you've walked or Sunday school classes you've been to, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. And you need to hear the good news that Jesus offers you his righteousness. He invites you to humble yourself because he saves a humble people. And admit you need God. Without God, you can't leap that wall. Give your life to him. Trust in him. And stop trusting in yourself. Because the anointed king gives us the privilege of sharing in his righteousness. Being rewarded for his righteousness. And then he wants to form us according to his righteousness. Well, finally, as we consider how we share in the salvation of Jesus... Number three, we share in his triumph, his triumph. We see this in verses 30 to 50. Turn back with me to Psalm 18. Well, um, in verses 30 through 36, as uh, David continues, we see how Yahweh equipped David to triumph. He equipped David to triumph. And he, he goes on and he lists all of the ways that not only did God deliver him miraculously, supernaturally in this magnificent way, he also equipped David to wage war himself. Uh, he equipped David, first of all, with his perfect word. Uh, he equipped David with his shield of salvation. Uh, we see in verse 32 again, he made David's way blameless. David describes how God gave him stable footing, uh, like if you've ever seen uh, an ibex uh, climbing up a near vertical um, a cliff and being able to be secure even in this treacherous terrain. That's the kind of stable footing that David uses as a picture of how God kept him steady. He gave him stable footing. He gave him capable hands. He says in verse 35 that he was made great by Yahweh's gentleness. As Yahweh equipped him, he cared for him with gentleness, gently dealing with him and equipping him, giving him what he needs. And it was through God's gentle dealing with David that he made David great. He equipped him to triumph. Then in verses 37 to 42, David describes how with this equipping, the armor of the Lord, he then defeated his enemies. And he describes in verses 37 to 42, total defeat. Total defeat. To the point that he even says that his enemies asked Yahweh to come and help them out and be on their side. But he describes how there is no salvation for those who oppose God's anointed king. We see the totality of of David's victory in verse 42, the first part, I beat them fine as dust before the wind. This is a total destruction, a total defeat, a complete victory. And God is the one who equipped David to conquer his enemies. In verses 43 to 45, 
David described how this victory that God equipped him for led to him ruling over Gentiles. Not only did David conquer and defeat his enemies, but he also brings Gentiles, foreigners, under his authority to serve him and be under his reign, under his kingdom. Part of his victory is the expansion of his kingdom through um, more and more people bowing the knee to King David. In verses 46 through 48, David then goes on to describe who this God is who did this, and it's the God who is Yahweh who lives. He lives. The God who is his rock, the God who gave him vengeance, the God who gave him and equipped him to triumph, the God who rescued him is the living God. The cords of death were no match for Yahweh who lives. And so finally, in verses 49 and 50, David ends this psalm just how he began, with praise to this rock of salvation. He praises his name among the Gentiles who now serve him. He rejoices in Yahweh's salvation, how he has committed himself to his anointed king. And he reflects on God's covenant love toward him. And how this commitment that Yahweh has showed to David won't end with David. How Yahweh's salvation of his king would be seen most completely in the salvation of David's offspring, King Jesus, who will reign forever. Jesus invites us to share in his triumph, just as David triumphed. We can trust him, and, and we can, there's three different ways that Jesus invites us to share in his triumph. First, we can trust him to defeat our enemies. We can trust him to defeat our enemies. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 11. As we consider these ways that Jesus invites us to share in his triumph. First of all, let's consider how we can trust him to defeat our enemies. Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 through 19. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of of our Lord and of his Christ, anointed king. And he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, Peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. The salvation that God gives.
gives to David in Psalm 18 is the salvation that Jesus will win for all who trust in him. We can trust him to defeat our enemies. We can trust him to let us share in his triumph. Until Jesus returns, nations will rage. Destroyers will destroy. The fallen world around us will continue to promote evil. Saints will suffer. Death will continue to claim victim after victim. But Jesus will return. He will lead us in his triumph. He will right every wrong. He will destroy death. He will reward his saints, and he will reign forever. We can endure in this life, awaiting his return, when this is our hope. We can endure the evil around us, the opposition that we face, the suffering, knowing even as we, as we sang before, the enemies were fighting those without and those within. In Christ, they will be under our feet never to rise again. We can trust him to defeat our enemies. And second, the second way that Jesus invites us to share in his triumph, he equips us for battle in the meantime. He equips us for battle. You might have even, as we were listing uh, David's equipping in Psalm 18, you might have had come to your mind the full armor of God in Ephesians 6. Paul there in Ephesians 6 describes the battle that the people of the anointed king are waging today. And it's a battle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly places. And like David was equipped with God's strength, so all those in Christ are called to wage our battle with God's equipping, our battle with God's strength. We, Paul says, can stand against the schemes of the devil if we're secure in God's truth, if we are safe in God's righteousness, if we walk in gospel readiness, if we're guarded by our faith and salvation, if we wield the word of God, if we pray at all times in the spirit, we have everything we need. In Christ, God has equipped us with everything we need to wage the spiritual battle that he has called us to as we await his final victory. We have everything we need in Christ to fight sin and accusations and condemnation and temptation. We have everything we need. We have been equipped to fight against doubt and fear and anxiety and despair. We have everything we need as a church. We've been equipped to fight against division and apostasy. We have, in Christ, been equipped with everything we need for the battle that God has called us to against the spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly places. We can say to God with David, as he says in Psalm 18, 39, you equipped me with strength for the battle. Not only will Jesus give victory to us, he equips us as we wage war in the meantime. Finally, how do we share in Jesus' triumph? We proclaim his victory to the nations. 
we proclaim his victory to the nations. Like David, Jesus doesn't just defeat enemies. He also brings Gentiles, foreigners from every nation under his rule. Because Jesus has triumphed at the cross, people from any nation can bow to King Jesus. Paul understood that Psalm 18 was pointing this way as he wrote in Romans chapter 15 and verses 8 and 9. He says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, and he quotes Psalm 18, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Psalm 18 points us to the way that Jesus has triumphed and brings people from every nation into his kingdom. And so we as his people share in Christ's victory by telling the world about his victory. We tell them that Christ is one. We tell them that Christ will reign forever and that he invites all people from all nations to come and bow the knee to him to become citizens of his kingdom. Jesus will return, and when he does, he will judge. And those who have not bowed the knee to Jesus will receive his condemnation and be defeated like the enemies of David in Psalm 18. But until that day, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who finds refuge in King Jesus can be a part of his kingdom, can be led by him in triumph and victory and salvation. On the day that our king returns, people from every nation will be counted in the number described by John and Revelation 7. If you're still in Revelation, flip back with me to Revelation 7, verses 9 through 12. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is the song of the redeemed who will rejoice in our king's salvation and triumph. For all of eternity. Psalm 18 is a memorial of God's salvation. His salvation of David, yes. And his salvation in Christ. And so may this psalm cause us to have a renewed gratitude for the deliverance that Jesus has won for us. May we be moved to imitate the righteousness of our Savior. And may we increase in our desire to share with others that they can bow the knee to King Jesus as well. 
This is the salvation that we get to share in. Sometimes we just need a reminder of what God has done for us in Christ. May we go from this place and live accordingly. Let's pray together. Father, you are the rock of salvation. You have won victory in Christ for people from every nation. Lord, I pray that we would live in the good of what you have done for us in Christ. Lord, would we stand in awe of your salvation? Would we follow the righteous character of our Savior? And Lord, would we experience the good of sharing in his triumph? Hoping in the day that he defeats our enemies. Walking in the equipping that he has given us. And sharing the good news of his victory to all nations. Lord, we thank you that you invite us to share in the salvation you have won through your King, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together and respond to the word of God.